Welcome to How to Hochschule, our audio guide about tackling life and work at Rheinwall University of Applied Sciences, one of the most international universities in Germany. So grab a cup of hot chocolate, put on your comfy headphones and join us as we explore the world of Hochschule Rheinwall. Today we're on campus in Kamp-Lindfort. But before we dive into the stories and insights of this episode and actually explain what's going on in the background, let me speak briefly about the topic of today's show, a subject that is of utmost importance to every student out there, the art of studying. It's such a vast and significant subject that we could easily devote an entire series to it. However, it's hard to give general advice because every student and also every study field can be completely different. But if you're pressed for time and seeking quick answers, allow me to capture your attention now. If you're struggling with your studies, there are plenty of people who are eager to help and they are just waiting for you to reach out. But remember, always refer to the official Hochschule Rheinwahl sources for reliable information. Be wary of information shared on social media or anything that seems too good to be true, it often is. So stay with us as we return to Kamp-Lindfort. I think the main struggle was that I didn't feel that confident, that I had huge self-doubts. And I think I struggled with perfectionism, so that I wanted to get a good grade and I wanted to do it like perfectly. And so I think I overthought a lot and was struggling with thoughts like, is it good? Verena Schürmann is a researcher and a PhD candidate in psychology. She provides support in the study program's work in organizational psychology and international management and psychology at Hochschule Rheinwahl in Kamp-Lindfort. And I couldn't ask anyone, is that good? Because I was the only one who was responsible for this topic. Of course, I could have asked my professor, but you don't want to go ask him or her for every little question. So, yeah, there are some questions you have to deal with yourself. And I think that was the hardest part about it. I thought um, about it beforehand. How am I going to do that? And because of what? So I did it based on the literature. But even though afterwards I thought, oh, was it right or did I something wrong or like that? And I think this was really hard to understand that, yeah, it's normal to have these self-doubts and it's also normal that you do some mistakes and that you maybe discuss them afterwards and try to find a solution for it. So and um, this is the idea of the seminar today? It's a seminar, right? It's part of a seminar. The module is in Germany, it is Wissenschaftliches Arbeiten und Forschungsdesign. So right. it's about scientific writing and scientific working. And yes, it's also one part of it to help the students to understand or to learn that most of us feel like that. And it's important to to talk about it, to maybe yeah discuss about it and find solutions on your own. And to feel more confident that you have some guidelines where you can look up how to cite, for example, or where you can look up where to find literature 
that you yeah, have some tools helping you in this process of the bachelor thesis where so many thoughts are so present in your brain and you think about do I do I cite how do I cite write how do I find literature mm. that is fitting to my thesis or is this literature good and so on yeah and this course supports the students in this process hopefully <laughs> from the outside Writing a bachelor thesis may seem like a straightforward task. You choose a topic, do some research, write up your findings, and voila, you're done. But as anyone who's been through it will tell you, the process is anything but simple. How is it going so far? I'm stressed. <laughs> the writing process. Yeah, if you focus on one topic, you are quite restricted. And that does help, actually, with your research I already did the interviews, I transcripted them, and I'm ready to go to work with them, actually. Sophie-Marie Clemens and Larissa Tabea-Bedre are pursuing a degree in psychology. Both students are part of the Communication and Environment faculty, which is based at the HSRW's Kamp-Linford campus. However, their journey through the bachelor thesis writing process have been anything but easy. My main problem at the moment is the literature, because... I find it really hard to stay focused on just one aspect. You have so much to choose from and the topic onboarding is quite versatile because it's so individual. So for everybody that comes into a new company, it's a completely different experience and you can find so many contact points in different literatures and methods and theories that I'm actually overwhelmed and I do have to get my expose done quite soon. And I'm nowhere near <laughs> to decide on which theory I want to use. And that's a little bit, that applies a lot of pressure. How did you find the topic? I actually did my internship in the personal management because of Corona. A lot of companies did not hire internships. So I decided to stay at the Hochschule and I did develop an onboarding program for workers in IT and administration. And I find it quite impressive how much impact the first few months have on somebody who just joined a company. And I asked myself, okay, professors have so much different things to do because they have to prepare the lectures, they have to do their researches. And they do have to do all their administration on themselves. So I asked myself, what do they get in the first month? And I noticed that they do not get anything, at least at Hochschule Rheinmal, at this point. So yeah. I was interested what we can do to help them or yeah. what other universities do to help their professors get on board. In the bachelor thesis, you have many options. You can choose a topic from a professor, you can do your own thing, you can do one million things. Doing at the beginning, right? You search yeah, yeah. More, more or less in the research phase still? Or did still, you write something? No, I didn't start. I also still have to write my expose and haven't, I have not angemeldet. What is it? You didn't register. Um, actually, yeah. Did you start at the same time? But we're both not. Have you re registered your? Yes. Ah, I'm okay. So your clock is ticking. Yes, it is. Nice to apply a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my clock is ticking. I ticked off three weeks. 
So I have still two and a half months left. Lesson number one, mind over body, the art of studying. So my name is Anirudh Madhusudan. I study mechatronics. I grew up in the UK, but my origin is India. My name is Ali Ayan. I was born in Pakistan, but I've lived in UAE for most of my life. I also study mechatronic systems engineering. In a world where borders are increasingly blurred, real and digital ones, the experience of being an international student is both exciting and overwhelming. From navigating the complexities of a new culture to dealing with the pressures of academic life, it can be a daunting journey. First semester was quite hard because it was the COVID time and it's a new country, I don't know what to do really. From the fear of failure to the overwhelming experience of taking exams with hundreds of other students, what is the mental toll that academic stress can take and how can the freedom offered by the German education system be both a blessing and a curse? And it's a quite it's a different thing, I think, in Germany because the professors, they just give you work and they don't check up on you if you did the work or not. It's totally up to you. So it's a more independent and more dependent on you than anyone else. So I think during my first semester, I found it really difficult to do my work. So I was used to like my professors saying, oh, you have to submit in this time, oh, you have to do this fast. But mm -hmm. here, like nothing. So everything you have to research on your own, you have to study on your own, then nothing is provided by the professor. So it's all self-taught, more or less self-found. You should study yourself. And the professor just guides you along the way. So mm -hmm. he just steers you into the right-ish path, but the right path, so he just helps you to go roughly where you're supposed to. Did you know that beforehand? No, it was a sort of a cultural shock for me as well, coming from a high school where in a school, in a small classroom, everybody's so connected, everybody's so... It's like a family atmosphere, let's say, I would say. But now if you come here, it's more like a very formal sort of behavior with the professor because, yeah, professor comes, teaches and goes. There's no sort of connection whatsoever mm. in the class or in the lecture, lecture mm. hall. So I get that was one of the... Adaptation that I had to do, and also that thing they have this. Germany has a very strong emphasis on self-study and research, and classroom inter interaction may may be more formal than what we are used to. There's this very we call it like I call it Bible of the university. It's this module handbook of every degree program. So if you go through it, it actually has all your hours listed down. For example, your workload. For example, in mathematics. It's 20 hours of lecture. I'm not sure about the, I'm just saying that it's just 20 hours of lectures, 30 hours of exercises and 20 hours of self-preparation. So I guess that that's just the very main thing, which I didn't know in the beginning when I came. But then when I came, I got to know more about my degree program. I went there and I saw that, okay, now these hours are for me to block it down because these are for maths. And I think that was a problem for me with, when I didn't know. And when I was like, okay, whenever a lecture comes, I write, okay, yeah, that's it. But that's not the thing how it goes in the university. It goes like you study, you take in the lecture, you go back home, you revise. At the end of the week, you revise everything that you did for the week because the moment you drop, the moment you get lose the track of your professor and you cannot match the pace of your professor, you're lost. It's like completely, I would just say you're lost. You, then there's no way back, I would say, for at least in my case. So that was a problem for me initially. But then as soon as I realized that if I can manage my sort of timings in a way that, okay, 30 hours for lecture in a week is for maths. 20 hours, I'm just exaggerating, I'm not sure about the hours. Yeah. 20 hours for exercises and 10 hours for my self-studies in a week. For example, six to eight, I do my self-studies of mathematics. So that, that actually really helped planning my week ahead, month ahead of all the 
hours from the module handbook of my degree program so for me it was a bit bit of a different path i took i think so for me whatever i do is mostly on intuition so during the first semester i was not very organized myself so i didn't know so i usually did stuff based on intuition so i used to go to math exercises certain subject some subjects it's hard because you look at the subject you're like oh it's hard so based on that so not all subject is proportional so some of the subjects i study more some subjects i don't study at all and i think that little bit of intuition that i had early on helped me a lot because then i was able to proportion my time accordingly so then as soon as now i'm the fourth semester now i know how to plan myself now i do based on planning before i used to on intuition so on planning so i think there's a slow learning curve where you have so initially you start off knowing nothing and some people have that intuition some people don't have that intuition and slowly and steadily by the fourth by the sixth you know exactly what to do you might refer to the course sometimes or you might even ask the people who are in the higher semester like how oh, what do i do for the subject how do i study for the subject that's also a really good way so how do you self organize both of you struggled with self organizing yeah. i probably was struggle with it myself but how did you figure it out i think at one moment in every student's life everything doesn't go according to plan one day everything is like going everywhere it's like a shit storm nothing is going according to plan so something is there and at one day you realize okay i need to organize myself i think he also had that one fine day and i had that one fine day i had to go to my labs i had to go to my i had to submit some projects and that one day i a bus was late and i was had nothing so something were overlapping with each other and i didn't know they were overlapping so because of that i was not able to attend a lab i was not able to subject the project so i had to i had also not able to go to work so i missed on so much opportunity so i had to beg the professor to give me an extension to submit my project and i had to go to work saying sorry i was late to work i forgot i had other stuff stuff to do i think that day that night i remember going home and i was talking to my mother i told and she told me okay so okay, self organize right now mm-hmm. so after that day now i self organized i learned a lesson that sometimes not always all your plan goes as as you plan them and the best strategy then would be to go with the flow that's something i've learned and that's something i have developed within me that no matter how much i plan at the end of the day it's going to get out of my hands anyway so i should be prepared for the worst case scenario so that's what i think i have in my mind so whenever of course i have a plan i have this plan that okay this many hours i'm going to give to this many hours i'm going to give to this but it sometimes it doesn't just doesn't go away So I think the best situation or the best thing that I said tell myself is that just go with the flow it's not happening look and then do this don't overstress yourself let the things comes to you and yeah everything will come in order as soon as we get there who are you good students a pretty good <laughs> student <laughs> that's debatable but <laughs> I think considering a good amount of A's in the in my final sheet yeah I think I was a pretty good student yeah I think so number wise not your course but like the faculty It's like one of the hardest ones you can find here. Yes, there are a couple of subjects I can quote. <laughs> Intro mathematics, <laughs> you can, you can uh, applied mathematics. Anything with mathematics is really tough. And yeah. uh, you have some other systems like drive systems. It's hard. So when I came to the university, a lot of my seniors, they scared me. So they scared me with math has a 10% passing rate. You pause, you really can't pass it the first attempt. You have to give an exam, then you can pass things. That's really demotivating. That is really, for a guy who's already like in shambles, to come and say oh you clearly can't pass it's something really demotivating because the first one then you're like you know what i gave up so some people do give up they're like i will fail i'll fail yeah so that leads to it's like a snowball effect so that leads to more people failing and that leads to more people failing and i think that's why tnb has a really bad reputation of uh, courses but i think it's every 
technical field in Germany is quite hard. They really let you know the worth of each credit point so badly that after you get it, you feel like, ah, this was not a bachelor's degree. This was definitely a PhD degree, the way that I have done that and the way that I have achieved it. So I guess that's what they, HSRW really shows you the worth of each credit point of the semester, of the module. Yeah. I think it's technical, it's not a subject that you can learn, it's, by, it's learning by doing. So even if I go out in the field, I can't get the thing in first, right? So it's by trial and error, trial and error. That's why it's easier. But here you have to get it right in the first go. Yeah. That's why you have to solve problems. You must know how to solve it. Otherwise, you can't pass the exam. And theory so, is sometimes also boring. <laughs> theory, theory is also sometimes very boring. So, like it's not that very interesting to people. More people, they're like more like practical work. Give me the, give me hands-on experience. Give me a machine. Give me a screw, and I can open it for you. Or maybe I can do something for you. But reading it down in a textbook okay that is the machine this is the screw this is your how you that's so boring that's mm -hmm. not of out of interest that's why it's hard to study mm -hmm. than to do it on hand did you um, pass every exam you had here yes you're part of the 10 percent actually Yes, I'm part of the 10%. Yes, I am part of the 10%. Did you pass everything? I did. Okay. I did have some backlogs of my first semester and second semesters. So it was a quite a roller coaster ride for me. One semester it was pretty good. The other semester was pretty down and I was demotivated. The third semester was again on the very high. I did my current semester and the, from the previous semesters. So it was, I would say it was a roller coaster ride. One, it was like a sine wave. It was a sine wave. <laughs> <laughs> Integration took a sine wave. It's for all the TNB out there. Yeah, so... It was a quite challenging ride, quite demotivating, motivating, but I guess that's a part of the experience. That's how you learn. Yeah. That's how you adapt. That's how you learn about yourself, learn about your, what is your capability, I think. I'm happy that I went through this journey, that I've learned this, that sometimes it's not always in life I'll be on the top. There'll be times that I'll be down as well. So I need something to get from down to up. And I guess this is the perfect example to learn that. And even for you, I mean, you had your breaking point even if you pass every exam you had your point where you said to yourself okay now i have to stop i have to rethink a few things. yes so i think yes the breaking point really broke me i think i remember quite well because it was the stress of being alone doing everything alone and sheer chaos just broke me that one day and from that day i made myself organized and made sure that i need to pass every single exam to finish my course on time so it's not like i've given every single course that i have encountered I have dropped a subject, but for me, it's just to have some sort of stable system. That's why I make this thing a day. It was really bad. <laughs> I would also like to add that the university resources also helps. There's, we have a study guide counselor at our faculty, TNB, Ms. Helena Buxman. She really helps us counseling you in how to study, not how to study, but how to plan accordingly, how to get yourself in the right manner to study. And I guess that's something that was really helpful for me when I first came to the university. She offers onboarding freshers session every week for freshers who have recently joined. And I guess that's very underwhelmed. I always say underwhelmed. Like it's not that much famous in students because they don't know the worth of it. Mm. Because when they know it, that what it's actually doing, they would, I would say, be more than excited to join. But then that's where it comes that student wants to learn university is giving the resources for them to learn but they are not just utilizing it i would say why is it so you think i think because uh, now that's a really hard question that know the answer but i'm thinking how can i reach i think it's because the students normal students they don't want to do more with the university they just yeah. want to limit it to study they don't want to participate in extracurricular activities because it's not a compulsory thing and it doesn't 
really help them in this thing they don't know that so i think that is one of the reasons people many people don't appreciate mr dig study guidance and yeah that's why you see because we work in the welcome center we have events and there are not much people in the events because they don't want to, they don't want to be with the university a lot they just want limited for the studies so one of the myths right i know that myth of course it's you have to fail the first exam <laughs> it's made for students to fail when they take it for the first time you are a living example that it's not true because you at least i think that's like the first math test yes it's very famous for something like that it happened didn't happen to you yes did it happen, happen to you yeah, yeah i failed mathematics do you think that was on purpose that you have to fail it? i didn't know anything about the culture i didn't know anything about how the exams are conducted so i went into the examination hall with the intention of getting experience i did not expect to pass because that that was just not realistic because i came in the corona time my enrollment got late and it was simply not possible for me to cover the entire course that i have to cover in that specific amount of time so the only and also when i came there was the corona free period, free trial free trial and i guess it was the wise decision for me to go there with an expectation that okay i don't want to pass but i want to see how the exams are how what is the difficulty level because again when you come here seniors or <laughs> oh my god they brainwash your mind so badly so badly i still remember those nights when i was talking to all these seniors and they were like yeah it's really hard you have to really waste at least two two semesters to understand what the professor wants what is the professor's expectations because it's not they made this like so un, unusual that you passed passed it in the first attempt they said it's impossible that you can do it even if you have this 10% of faith you can, on, on yourself coming from a high school that you are a good student you can do this but then when someone tell you you can't do it how strong you are you really gonna get demotivated somehow and i guess that was the main part for me here so corona free trial my expectation was not to pass just to go there to see how the paper was how yeah for me it was the case I went with that expectation of failing so how close did you came to passing it was i was very close with my four i think i got around 40 45 or 46 and i 50% was 50% was the passing rate oh that's really close yeah it was really close but then i was then thanking myself like it's okay i did not do because yeah. then passing with the four because introductory mathematics is a eight credit semester eight credits and it has the most gpa it consists of the highest gpa proportion in that so if you get a 4 in a 8 credit points subject your gpa is going to go down so badly so it was a good decision after all to <laughs> assess the situation in the first paper mm. and then go with the full flow in the second one how close came you to failing okay that is that you were like 100% yes you're, so ah, you're one of these yes. people who everyone hates <laughs> yes, I am the guy who hates everybody. Hates. I did really good in. The, I think I got 100 in the math exam. All right. But uh, yeah, I can't really talk about that he's, experience. He's actually the tutor of the. He's it now. I do. Uh, to know him. <laughs> he can't say anything bad about it. <laughs> no, I'm the. But still, what was it easy for you? Because you have a knack for ma mathematics. Or? Yes, I think mathematics is one of my favorite subjects, okay. and because my mom is also a mathematician, All so right. I've been grown up with the mathematical backgrounds. I for me the exam was okay. It was not that hard, not that easy. So I felt, yeah, I could, it's doable. That's what I felt. Because uh, some opinions, they were like telling, oh, 10%, you won't pass. But then again, I was like, realistically, what's the chance? So I think I, I ignored that a little bit. 
and then I gave my exam. But you studied for it, or yeah, I did study uh, for it. I tried my best, so I thought I would give my very best to pass yeah. the exam. If I fail, I pass, I pass. So I went into the exam with no expectations, but then it came out really good. Now that you are also teaching for other students as a tutor, what do they struggle the most with? To be honest, is they don't struggle at all. The thing is, the it's a mental, it's a mind over body. So the thing is, the exam is doable, but the sheer stress behind it of failing is the one that mostly makes them fail the exam or make them do mistakes. So they know how to do every single problem, how to do, but that little bit of that mental pressure will make them to do one mistake and then they start panicking. So they start panicking and at the end of the day, they'll be like, okay, I'll fail the exam. Because most of the students I've seen in my tutorials, they can really do their stuff. They might not get a 1.0 or a 2.0, but I for sure know they can pass an exam. But... Because of that little bit of mental stress, it's again a snowball effect and everything starts they start failing. It's a sort of overwhelming experience yes. because you only get three ties in Germany. That's also one thing the new students should know that you only get three ties, three ties per subject. If you lose one, then you have two. And if you lose second, you have last one. And then last one, you have to win. Win it. That's the last sort of player you have if you don't do. so i think that's also the pressure in your mind if i talk from a student's perspective ah, life is not easy stress is from financial thing new country three tries seniors trying to demotivate you accommodation problem language barriers new culture there's a lot of stress is that and i and i think i should give credit to him the main or the one who survived here is the one who is strong in the mind It's all about the game in the mind. It's nothing about the body. It's nothing about the how good you are in the studies. It's just about the mind. How good can you control your mind at what scenario? I think yes. that's what yeah. the role is over here. Then again, mind over body. So your mind controls everything. So if you let that slip, everything goes first cascading. And yeah, then again, because as you said, the problems, with, especially as a foreign student, you should also have to maintain the credit points. Yeah. Because as a foreign student, you have to maintain at least 15 credit points per semester to get and your visa extended for normal time. So having that pressure, having the financial pressure, the accommodation stress is something that takes a real toll on one's mental status. And so that will also reflect in his studies. And the, C and the math exam being a big, scary thing. Just imagine yeah. 500 students writing one paper. That's yes. the high end. Eventually, I think in the last examination period, there was a statement that we don't have enough places <laughs> to, to accommodate everybody yes. because there were students from, I don't know, from very large semesters, higher semester, like, you know, I don't know, mm -hmm. 11, 12, 13 semester, they are here and they still couldn't pass maths. So just imagine when you are new here and you said that, okay, 500 students are giving. And then you think, oh my God, these 500 students cannot do. <laughs> then who am I? I? I'm nothing. I'm just new here. But that's again, the mind games come. If you are confident in yourself at that moment of time, then it doesn't matter. But then if you're a little weak there, then it might get a toll on you. Yes. In any field, let's not talk about engineering. Let's talk about any lawyer. As long as you don't have a passion for it, I don't think so you can survive in any degree, regardless of engineering or anything. I think the main point here is that your passion and how motivated are you? Because I've also seen as a pattern that students come here as an international student They get this sort of freedom here compared to what they used to get in their home country and then they get lost. That is also a very severe case that I've known. I've seen a lot of my friends gone, get got off the track. They came here, very A-star students, very motivated students, came here, got this freedom sort of thing, when, which they didn't get that in their home country. 
and lost the track and sort of couldn't handle the freedom. I get that's also a problem. But coming back to the question. Yes. So he made me realize something that's very true. So Germany here allows us so much independence. You're overly independent. I don't know if that's a word. Because in back in home, our countries, we were controlled by our parents to do this. And because we have no control anymore, we want to expand. We want to do everything we want. And that might lead to people straying off there what they wanted to do, like what he said. Not everybody and can enjoy or not everybody can control the freedom. That's the statement. I know a lot of people who just join engineering because, oh, it's engineering. It's a, oh, you better get paid good. But they don't really have the passion. They just want to chase the money behind it. Some people do are able to pass the course without the passion. But there are some people who don't pass, cannot, because they don't have the passion behind it. So because Germany allows us that independence, they fail once, thrice, and they have this oh-ho moment where they are, because the three attempts, they fail and they have to go forward. So then they see, okay, engineering is not my fit, so I can do something else. And Germany does allow that to allow us to do that. So because of these three attempts and because of this oh-ho movement that they have, eventually not all, but some people will take the course that they're more interested in. Maybe because the Germany also allows us to do Ausbildung. I don't know, forgot the English word. It's, I think, like a training, like an apprenticeship. You can do that also here. And there are a lot of possibilities in this country to do it. But I guess as a terms of international student, you just have 10 years in... That's like a foreign, foreign office statement that a student, maybe Ani can confirm in this case, that you only have 10 years... As a student, yes, international student your, yeah. in the in Germany, you either make just bachelor's in your ten years, you make your until PhD until in this ten years is the only time you're allowed to study in Germany. Then you must change the visa or something like that. Bring that atmosphere and also having the every semester fifteen credit points, it gets a lot pressurizing. When I now when I think about it, I'm like, oh man, I was very strong, but <laughs> but now that I, now that I talk about it, it feels like. I, I ignored all this sort of thing because now that I talk about it, it's all coming in my mind now. <laughs> After this podcast, let's see what happens. <laughs> you will be, you will be like, oh, damn. <laughs> oh, no, we are. It's a very hard life. <laughs> yes. With regard to study tips, I have a, the most generic advice possible is to find your way of studying. Because I have a very unorthodox way of studying. Yes, I don't attend lectures. You're this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the exact yeah, guy. Yeah, we, we, we talked about myths. You're like the guy from the myths. It's never here and he comes... One hundred percent, and just leads how? Yeah, I do attend lectures. For me, it's for me, it's not physically possible to listen to a guy talking for one hour and a half. I get bored. So what I do is I don't attend any lectures, but I attend the exercise sessions. That's what TNB has. I'm not sure about other faculties, but I attend where we do the practical problems, and I understand I understand it through the problems. Is that's what I do, and I also go to my. So there are online simulators there. Then I try changing the numbers, and I see what happens. So I can relate it to what will happen in real life. That's how I understand my topics. Guys, please do listen to him. He is just a ten percent of the guys you find in the world. He's very much into the sort of very smart student. Not everybody is as smart. <laughs> But like the thing is that that is my how I do. So I'm talking to the, that ten percent. I do put the time in. I do put the time in. But I do it a different way. But I have friends who are. Totally opposite to what I do is they go to the lectures and they don't attend the exercise sessions. Mm -hmm. Is they attend by looking at the slides over there and then okay, then doing the problems on their own so mm -hmm. that they can understand it better. And there are also a couple of people who do a hybrid, so they attend lectures and exercise sessions and then somewhere in the middle and they do it. I have also friends who do nothing; they don't attend lectures, they don't attend exercise sessions, they do self study, and they come out good. 
So figuring it out where exactly you land in the spectrum, you will take a semester or two to find exactly where your speed sweet spot is. And finding that sweet spot will exponentially increase you to doing good in your studies. It'll take a semester or two. For me, it took two semesters. But now I know my, how I'll follow my path and I'll, I will follow that path. And my rec- recommendation is, again, the, this very stereotypical recommendation is find your lane and then follow that lane. One more one more thing I would like to share that take advantage of university resources. Again, there are everything is given to you in terms if you have any psychological problems, we have psychological services at the university. If you have anything problem regarding your studies regarding how to get motivated how to see your module handbook and how to study your study guide of the faculty of technology and bionics and communication and environment the best person to talk with the best person to deal your solution with if at all you think you need more guidance come to welcome center to us we'll be there as a take a student experience from us i'll be also working with miss elena booksman in the study guide and also welcome center so you can come anytime and discuss with us see what is available and i would just say a platform is given to you just use it a quick example would be a fruit is given to you you just eat half of it and the half you just throw you're just wasting it it's given to you anyways it's given to everybody is getting one fruit and you're cutting it half and throwing it half away why are you throwing it away just eat full take the full benefit be as healthy as you could be and the life would be as good as you can imagine and also the tutorials there's a lot of tutorials happening and i would people love people to come because there are sometimes we talk a lot we discuss subjects they ask silly questions i answer silly things and it's overall it's not for study it's just to hang out to understand what the topic is if you don't want to study leave that and you can just have a talk so using that resource again as he said is very important you might know that you know something but not really so using that advantage using the offers given by the university is something you have to do i think one one last thing would be build relationship with professors it is hard once you crack this code believe me life is far more easier than that because those people just imagine as a very third perspective view those people have given their half of the life i would say to studies to so the same thing that they are teaching you now just imagine in that perspective they are far more experienced than that you really need to build the com- connection with them these people are really your ideal or should be your ideal in terms of get- because they have learned it they have experience is it doesn't have any money value i think it's it's worth it it has a lot of worth than money itself and i guess that's what it is build a relationship with professors professors I think you should also keep in mind that professors also were students but they were exactly in our shoes in long time it would it might be a long time ago but they were exactly in our shoes so building a relationship with a professor is it's a nice thing to have because they might recommend them you to for internships for jobs so it's not only for your academic life but your work life as well from the moment we step foot into the classroom exams become a fact of life we spend countless hours studying cramming for tests and anxiously awaiting the final grades but have you ever stopped to wonder what goes into creating and grading those exams first of all we have two different types of grades dr struck is a professor of theoretical physics in the faculty of technology and bionics and a seasoned pro with years of experience creating and grading exams in the field of math and physics at the university level. We have called 
attestation, which is just a pass or a fail, right? And we have the graded exam, so where you actually get, usually you get a number of points. Imagine it like this. You have a couple of exercises that you need to solve. And for each basically step in these exercises, you get a certain number of points. So each exercise gets a total number of points. And then, so my approach is to basically do the key solution, put the points to it, right? So to basically account for the minimal steps that you have to do, right? And then you get these get these these total points. And then a grading key is applied, and usually it has an official grading key, which you can probably find someone where you say, okay, you need 50% for 4.0, and then you need, I don't know, 98% for 1.0. This is sometimes subject to shift a bit, right? Because, for example, I do it quite often that I say, since we are giving very generous points for those people who are actually just needing to pass, right? And so we, we really give a point for everything that is also marginally worth a point. Then we say, okay, we need to do this for everyone then, but then we might lower the threshold for the very good grades also a bit. Yeah? So then maybe you get a 4.0 with 50% and a 1.0 with 96%. But this grading scheme is, is usually applied for the exams. And then yeah, you grade the exams. So you look what is right, what is wrong. And you get, of course, if that's even the right answers or a right step in between, right? You get points for that. Yeah. There is uh, usually when I grade at least I give as many points as I can. So it's not that I wait for an opportunity to leave out a point. And some points are easily gotten. Also, what in physics what we obviously take care of is that since we use quantities that have units, it's very unprofessional if you can't handle units. So this is one of the learning goals of the first physics class that people learn that. And so obviously you lose a point if you give the result without the unit. Yeah. Usually people do this once and then they have learned because it hurts because these are so easy. <laughs> You lost the lost points. On the other hand, usually the number with the unit is just one point. Yeah, and then because you need time to produce the numbers, but obviously the points to get to that numbers are much more, and obviously you don't lose them then, right? The other thing is a good documentation of the results. So we cannot give points for undocumented results. So if someone just says, okay, you calculate the velocity, right? And the page is empty, it says V is equal to five meters per second. Okay, if the number is right, you get one point, yeah? If the unit is there. If the number is wrong, you get zero points. But if this is 20 points, because it took 50 steps to actually get to this result, and they are all not documented, then there are no, no points given for that. Because we cannot basically see where these other students got to this result. And so my advice for writing exams, document as accurate and as much as possible. I know sometimes people are under time pressure and so on. If not everything is neat, it still is worth something, right? But don't throw away easily some side notes. Don't scratch them out because maybe there's something that is worth a point. On the other hand, it needs to be unambiguous. Yeah. So basically having two different solutions with two different results. And for us to pick one usually results in picking the wrong one because it needs to be unambiguous. And very careful also with prepared formulas because sometimes people are not wanting to show the skills we discussed, but they just memorize some arbitrary formula that are maybe easier, maybe a bit more condensed, but they apply them wrong. Yeah, and in this case, we can't give points for that because we don't know where this formula comes from. And a bit of documentation again. Yeah, so it's not about getting the right numbers so much in the end, at least not in math and physics exams. It's more about demonstrating that you can use the skills to solve the problem.
this is the learning goal and it's a very clear learning goal and this needs to be tested in the exam also. So that this is all to say about grading. Yeah? In other subjects, obviously, there's more room for interpretation. Yeah? Physics and math and basically all the hard sciences have the advantage that the, the results are non-negotiable. So they are essentially only right. I'm not holding this against people, but I hear these phrases sometimes. They say, please, can you let me pass? You see, the phrasing is already like I had an intention of not wanting to let people pass. But no, people are not let pass, they pass. That is, it sounds a bit like just basic grammar, right? But letting someone pass and passing something is very different. And it basically shifts the activity from the professor to the student. Everyone passes who gets enough points, but getting the points is the job of the, the student, yeah? plus the necessary corrections that sometimes are done, right? So just shifting around a bit, this is our job, but that's the probably the essence of it, right? So everyone is welcome to pass, right? But they have to pass themselves. <laughs> they are not let pass. <laughs> There's, I would say, an urban myth that there are some exams that you have to fail the first time. No, um, this is, is a myth and I think it's very insulting because those people who write this, they have obviously not put enough thought in what effort it is actually to create exams. So I can just speak now for, for our faculty, maybe uh, uh, essentially I know it from math and physics uh, because this is my area, so to say. But what we do when we create an exam, yeah? for example, in, in physics, I worked since many years with Professor Bastian, right, with my colleagues. So we know what the difficulties are. And we create the exam and also with Mr. Daxon, with our, our lab co-worker who essentially does the lab. But he's also involved in this and sometimes we get feedback also from older exams from our students where we ask them deliberately what was really the difficulty with this question. So we have a lot of stakeholders, if you want, who come from very different backgrounds. And at least Bastian and I calculate the exams. Yeah, So we calculate them. He provides some exercises. I provide some problems. Depends on how it works, right? And then both of us are calculating these things. We give it also, also to other colleagues. And we really try to make this thing basically doable. Right? So we are not assuming that we can all everything by ourselves, but we test and counter-test it a lot. And we then also make sure that every exam contains the essence of what we have done in lectures and exercises. Yeah? And in most exams, I would say, in math and physics, you can literally demonstrate in which week, <laughs> which lecture, exactly this problem was straight. So we, we have hard evidence, actually, that this is not true. I would not say that every exercise that we or I ever created was the most ingenious one. And obviously, there, there are sometimes things that work out differently than we thought um, it would work out. But also, this is something that we usually realize in grading. This is standard tests that we do. We look, of course, how many points have been achieved in every problem. And if there's one problem where no one has achieved any point, although there were a lot of attempts, then probably something is wrong with the problem. That can happen. But this is not uh, carried out on the backs of the students. Then we usually say, okay, let's put this out of the account. Those people who got points there still get the points, but uh, the overall level is reduced. Yeah? Uh, so uh, the same for time issues. Yeah? So this is also a lot specifically in mass. Um, in physics, we don't, didn't have that so often, uh, but specifically in mass, there's always the thing, oh, this was far too long for this. I would say... Yeah, if it really was too long, then this is a 
accounted for. Always. I don't know of a single case in my in my time here where this hadn't been accounted for. But obviously, I don't know all cases lately. But no, this is something that that definitely is. Even if it would happen, it wouldn't be intentional. I think it's quite. It's very insulting to just burst this out and say because what kind of a job would I do? Why would I would have wanted to have people fail? Even if people don't believe this to me or think as well, I understand that I'm maybe not primarily targeted here. But even if one can see it from the pragmatic way, if I have someone failing the first time, they would come back the second time and I would have to, to, to grade their exam again. Why would I want to do that? I could do so much more sensible things at the same time. No, the best thing would be everyone passes the first time. But quality assurance is the other thing. You can't pass if you can't do the essential things. And the grading schemes are quite transparent there, right? So you need 50% usually for an exam in order to just pass. And you need 100%, for one point or at least, right? That's, that's what we do and there's certainly no attention, not by me and by no colleague that I know these sort of things are in there. You have to tackle <laughs> the special program that a lot of students from all over the world come here and they have also different mindsets and uh, maybe different tools and you have to find a way to put them on the same level. I can try to explain how I do approach it, but by no means I would say that this is the only or the right or the most smart way. This is just my attempt on it. So first of all, I need to work from the premise that we have assembled our study courses as an offer. It needs to be clear to the students that they have to pass all of these courses, obviously, and um, it is not something that they can do per se. I don't think we have a single course that you can just pass by things that you remember from school or that you casually find on Wikipedia or on YouTube, right? Although obviously the handling of knowledge with the younger generations is a bit like this. And to be honest, if I have to repair my bicycle, I don't read a book anymore. Obviously, I look into one of these very intelligent and very helpful tutorials on YouTube. Sometimes students think I'm really bashing this down because I do sometimes, but this is not my real intention. I find great contents that can help you on a tutorial base, but science goes more deeper. So you need to basically get to the understanding. What I tell the students sometimes is I need them when they leave our courses to be in the position to create these tutorials themselves. Not just watch them and apply them, but to create them themselves. This is the level of depth that they at least can earn. To be honest, that is not even what is done in science. Science goes much deeper, but then again, we are applied science. For us, it's enough, although this is a different challenge. We need to build into our students at least that they have a sound knowledge of scientific methods that they can apply essentially to all the problems that they are facing. Yeah, so they don't need to be experts in one particular subject, but they need to come into a company where their boss throws out a problem to them, which is per se unsolvable. Because if it were solvable, he would do it himself. Or she. So our students need to, first of all, create a problem that they can solve. And then they need to evaluate this model that they have created before they solve it and then sort of sell it to their bosses. Yeah? And so this is basically what I try to implant in them, that this is the overall goal. And in order to get there, we have to face a lot of difficult problems the way there. But this is what we call studying. From the outside, Germany's academic world may seem like a well-oiled machine with a reputation for excellence and rigor. But dig a little deeper and you find a complex system with its own set of challenges and rules. So let us take a closer look at the world of German higher education 
with the help of Professor Dr. Petri in Kamp-Lenford. I'm professor for media production and basically teaching in the design programs of the faculty communication and environment and i'm currently vice president for academics affairs or at this university and by this member of the board which is the management level of the university with his deep understanding of the system he'll guide us through the intricacies of certain modules and shed the light on the infamous german rule that limits the number of times a student can fail an exam i think there's There are two perspectives. The one, the first one is from the student's perspective. You could say a Bologna study very much or feel very much school-like. There's subjects that you have like same teaching people each week, 15 weeks in a row, then an examination or some kind of project or whatever at the end. So this is the structure that needs to be built. And the choices that you have are most of the times quite limited. In terms of limited, in terms of in the design program, for example, we have six projects that can be freely chosen. That's 60 credits out of 180. That's quite a lot. In other programs, you can choose four or five, maybe. Also, four or five means 20 to, to 30 credits. And that means all the other credits are already defined. So there's no leverage or there's no space to move. And now from the faculty or university's perspective in terms of resources. So we are not like a big university with 45,000 students. That means we somehow need to structure the course of studying. And the more rigidly we do it, the more we can focus on the specific results or on the specific classes. That means we can't afford offering like 10 different options to go. Or no, we may not, not only can't, but we do might not want to afford to offer three, ten different courses to choose from, because we might then end up with a class with only two students. In a big university where kind of lots of students can choose same classes, there is more there's more space to move. In a small university, this space is limited. And in the end, I would argue this is this is also in our responsibly responsibility to. The students, you could say, in a small university, we need to make sure that the things that we offer are actually going to be working. And this, in the end, leads to a more or less rigid structure. That means that the choices are limited. On the other hand, this is something that we can guarantee. So we can guarantee the studies to be working. We can guarantee that you can study every program in in the time that it's supposed to be, three and a half years for us and one and a half years for masters. And this is, you could say, this is the promise of the university. And this is the promise of Bologna in general. That the obligations of students and universities are very well defined with all the good and bad things that come with. Like the formal level is rigid, which might feel bad, but it also has very, say, positive. I think effects. for students, especially international students, they struggle because I think they really don't understand that even if it's structured in a certain way, that doesn't mean that's enough that you just visit the weekly courses. Studying means more than that. You have to prepare in advance for it and afterwards. And uh, I think that's probably really hard to pin down. What do you think is the best way to approach that? I only have complicated answers to this. But first of all, the first distinguishment that needs to be made is between bachelors and masters. In the On the master's level, we have students that come from, you could say, they are already formed by their experiences in their bachelor's. And the international students that come from, from other countries, you could say, they expect their bachelor's structure to continue. And this is not always the case, you could say. It, it depends a lot on where they come from, but the German system is different in some ways. It demands a high level of autonomy, especially in a master's class. And this is one of the 
say, challenges the university has, that the expectations that the bachelor, the finished bachelors that go into the master students have is strongly forged by their former educational experience in their home countries or in the countries that they come from. And the main problems arise from discrepancies or differences between the two systems. And it's very, say, complicated to tell all the differences because you could say, for us, it's almost impossible to know what all those differences are. So all we as a university can do is communicate how the structure or how the programs are working here on the bachelor's level. I think in for those students, it's even more, the step is much bigger. Like those students come from their home countries, from their own school backgrounds. And also the German students, they come into a, different, into a system that is completely different than school. So you could say the freedom that university offers is open to them, although most of them don't use it in terms of you could study basically, maybe I'm exaggerating, but you could say if you study a class in the third or fourth semester, that's in the end not matter much at least. So it has a specific sense in terms of sequence, what's first, what's second. But in theory, at least, you are completely free. Most of the students don't use these freedoms, and most of them also don't need these freedoms. But in theory, at least, that's up to your own choice. You could say you're not even obliged to visit the lectures as long as you pass the examinations. Although in real life, we don't, I have never experienced that. <laughs> students that don't visit the lectures have very, really good examination results. But in theory, all those things would be possible. We don't remember who is present at which state, at least for most of the lectures. But this is a freedom that is new to most, German as well as internationals. And then the second one is, for the internationals, you could say they are entering two different, completely different cultures at once. So they come into a completely different educational system and into a completely different culture. If you have grown up in Bangladesh or today we had a student from, I've heard of a student coming from the Kurdish area of Iraq. And I imagine that coming here is ent like entering a new world or maybe even a new planet. So it's, you could say, both cultures, educational culture, but also the rest of the li their lives, the social surrounding that is completely changing. And this, by nature, you could say, is challenging. And you could say for the German students, they only have one culture or one cultural change to cope with. The internationals have two cultural changes to cope with. And of course, that is more difficult. That's more complicated. And maybe a last thing, the effect that we see on maybe from the overall perspective on the, on the university is that in theory, it's not so complicated to enter this new world of academia. But it's much easier the more people how the system works. So the more informed your surrounding is, the more likely it is that you're going to be successful and quick and successful in terms of study. And this means that the programs that are more or less, where there's a lot of German, where there are a lot of German students, and, or at least a significant part of German students, in the end have it, the students, the internationals have it a bit easier because there are people that can ask and there are people that know how the system is working, like how to register for examinations or whom to ask if it's not working. And the less knowledge is in the different cohorts, in the different years of the studying programs, the more complicated it gets and the more rumors spread and, <laughs> and the more kind of strange information is <laughs> flowing through the university. So I think the reason why so many people fail isn't only because that they are not motivated, but Maybe they don't have the right mindset. Now that 
that that's not enough to pass because it's in some fields it's really strict and really hard. And now that might sound a bit like evil or harsh, but we are a state-run university paid by tax money and you could... First of all, we would need to ask, so what is our obligation? What is our duty? And the duty of each professor is to say, this is my field of expertise and this is the minimum knowledge, the hurdle that you have to jump to succeed further in the studying programs. And in some classes, this almost never happens. In some courses, there's, for example, there are classes where or programs where the entry level is where it's so complicated or so hard to get actually a place to study that you say some of those students start to cry if they get 1.7 because they're used to 1.0s and 1.3s. And there are other fields, as especially in, the, in engineering, where, first of all, the grading culture is much different, like a 3 is still very acceptable. And secondly, where you could choose to study by will, you could say. There, is no, there are no entry regulations. And this means that the preconditions for the students are not measured in the beginning and the students would not know how hard or complicated it might be. And in those levels, especially when it comes to, to the sciences field, then the entry level is somehow defined by the average, say, knowledge of somebody coming from a German school. And this would be the level of expertise in a specific field that is demanded. And this means that some of the students coming from other countries might have different levels of previous knowledge. And this, the level that is needed is very complicated or impossible to find out unless you actually study and unless you actually do the examinations. And this is where, say, sometimes the university does not meet up or meet the expectations of the students. And you could say sometimes this is the filter function, the natural filter function of a university. In terms of, if you would like to be an engineer and build bridges, we need to make sure that certain things are being understood. And even if I wake you up at night at two o'clock, there are things that you need to know by heart. And this is, you could say, the hurdle that we are constantly defining. What is the minimum knowledge that is needed to be successful as an engineer, for example? And this would also, in a study program, lead to, you could say, specific modules that might feel more difficult to some students because they might lack maybe previous knowledge or where things are maybe more complicated to catch up with. Often it's like uh, fields like math for me as well. I guess that would be for me the breaking point, math. Maybe one thing that, that I would like to add, that is we know that there's, there's some modules in the programs that are very difficult. And so this is nothing that we can change. So it's up to, to the professors to decide which level there is. The things that we can decide on as a university is, and that is also a part of our responsibility, is to have those modules as soon as possible, as early as possible in in the course of studying. That means it would not it would be unfair to have a very difficult module in the seventh semester and then realize, oh well, I can't pass this module, but I've now studied for four years. So it's natural that the difficult and complicated modules are at the very beginning of the studies, most of them in the first two semesters. And and that's for practical reasons, but also for I think the responsibility for the students that we need to communicate to them what is necessary to actually get their bachelors and to have this experience as soon as possible, as early as possible. Yeah, and I think, of course, the thing is math actually is a little bit like a language, the language of science actually. Really hard to accept that's the truth, but it's in another discussion we have that uh, 
sometimes uh, I think universities have to suffer from all the horrible math teachers the students had before. <laughs> Maybe in my case, I don't know. I still got uh, the one question in my mind. I know you're not responsible for it, but there is the very German rule that you can't fail more than three times in a test. The thinking behind this, I think, is somehow simple you could say that you're allowed to repeat a specific module for a limited amount of time only that means on the one hand we if you pass an examination you have two more times to to redo them so in case you have a bad day or whatever and on the other hand it's also our responsibility that those complicated classes don't get completely overfilled with students that can't pass or that that have not passed for the last 10 years. You could say a result of this would be, so what would happen if those limits would not exist? This would lead to classes to be very big with a lot of very frustrated students and likely also lots of very frustrated professors that have to deal with large amounts of, of students and students that kind of, I don't know, are in... Th the number of thousands within a room as it happens sometimes in, in universities and we as a university of applied scientists are supposed to be working with significantly smaller groups on the one hand it, it's a decision of trying to a decision of the specific topics that are being taught and the other thinking behind it on the political level i guess at least so i, I didn't write this law but i guess at least is a very simple resource question And a structural question also that is, it gives the opportunity to the universities to somehow, say, have at least a bit of control over the resources that they would be spending. Just maybe a mind experiment. So if we had a program with two or three or four examinations that would be very difficult to pass, and if you had something like an unlimited amount of time to repeat them, where would this lead? This would in the end lead that the faculty would need to spend all the resources that they have on those classes that are not likely to be passed and why neglecting all the rest of the studies or all the rest of the modules and have not much resources to spend on, you could say, the more important things maybe in the later part of the studies. Because this is how the bachelor's programs are being structured. There's foundation classes in the beginning and the further you approach, the more specialized And, and challenging in, or interesting also the modules get. Yeah, in a way, I mean, that's like the hand you, you've been dealt with as a student. Um, I think I'm lucky that I uh, never had to pass a math test again after my A-levels. But um, I don't know, maybe it's also like a hint that after three times, maybe it's not the right field that you studied before, right? If you know that you're facing a third examination, you should be clear of the grievance of your situation. So if you don't, if you fail for a third time, you are, you're going to fail the whole program. And this is something that I think most of the students know. And on the other hand, this is, these are also the conditions that all of our students have signed in. So at the moment they enter the university, these are the conditions that they agree to. All those things are, we're Germany, administration. <laughs> so all those things are written in orders and module descriptions. So it's not that this is completely new. So as soon as you study at our university, these are the terms and conditions that you accept. And a part of those terms and conditions are that there are only three attempts for each module. And now going back to your question, as soon as you realize that you are entering a third attempt, that should make all your alarm clocks ringing because this might have significant effects on your future life and also not only on your 
academic, but also personal life. And that means after a failed second attempt, you are in a very serious position and, and need to make sure that you really pass the third one. So I would always recommend to, in this case, only focus on these very specific modules and not do too many things by the side, maybe, because that's we know that this is a very precarious situation for the students to be in. And we know that some of our students experienced this several times during their study. So that's, I agree, that's a complicated position. On the other hand, that's, these would be the terms and conditions that, that all of us have signed into. So during your academic life until now, what did you learn about the topic, how to study? First, maybe this is one of the things that universities teach the least, is like the mechanics of studying. Think of how does learning work? Because we as a university structure wise we expect that everybody who comes here knows how studying works and in real life we realize this is not always the case or this is not the case maybe for specific topics and so i don't want to say vote in favor of a specific methodology this is something that everybody needs to get to know for the uh, may that might even change between different topics Like you might approach a more philosophically driven class completely different than maybe a math class or a class in biology or fundamentals of psychology or in like in micro program. Illustration classes are different than Photoshop classes and their book design classes. So you might need, the students might need to find different, say, concepts to approach the challenges through their studies. But maybe in my experience, when speaking to students, the things that I would recommend everyone and always is to start early. Because this is what we very often realize that the students find themselves in precarious positions and realize this at a very late state, like when the examination has already been registered or when they are in front of their third examination. So it's always practical. And this is how, in theory, at least, the university works. And we know that in practice it's not the case. But in theory, you're supposed to start early and you learn your things as early as possible. That would be my first advice. Lesson number two, the virtual semester. As we enter the year 2023, digital learning has become more important than ever before. With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing many educational institutions to switch to virtual modes of teaching, the benefits of online learning have become increasingly clear. So we're already recording. Great. Um... Today, our junior correspondent and renewed German language learner Harry really happy with good connection today. takes a deep dive into the world of virtual learning in higher education. So my name is Anishka Konvalinova. I'm from Masaryk University from Brno, Czech Republic. I work there at the Faculty of Social Studies as a department coordinator for uh, exchanges and internships. And I work there as an instructor as well. How did you get involved with the Versatile project? Yeah, so I started to working uh, at the faculty and then um, my colleague, she became vice dean. So she needed someone to take her job as a departmental coordinator. So I took the job and that's how this project landed to me because we were already involved. So I jumped into the project a bit later than it officially started. Could you tell me um, how the Versatile project actually works? And, and while you're at it, maybe you can also tell me its history and why it was formed to begin with. So the project started in 2021 and it came from this like um, response to 
corona epidemic and the thing that all educational institutions faced, and especially higher, institution, uh, higher education institutions faced, going online, hybrid teaching, the fact that students couldn't travel abroad and it's part of their studies to go for exchanges. So the idea was to kind of do virtual semester online, but do it as a framework for the future cooperation between any universities, actually. The main goal is to do a framework guideline manual for other universities to follow our footsteps and creating virtual exchanges between each other. And it can be full semester. We hope it's going to be full semester exchanges online, but it can be any other more proper cooperation. And we are actually doing a guide for them. Okay. So at this point, it's more like you're kind of testing the waters in a way to see what works and what doesn't. To our knowledge, to our um, uh, research, it was never done. You have, of course, uh, you can take uh, courses in different universities, from, for example, Hack Network, but not a full semester. So we actually yeah. wanted to do that. And we have to test it first. We just started the semester in, in March. So we're actually in the middle of semester. Students are having the first courses, first classes online. So we are actually testing what's working and what's not working just to then get others and, you know, build the guidelines properly for others to follow. And you mentioned that there were many challenges uh, in this process. Could you give me some examples of what the challenges were? Yeah, of course. So first, you know, you have we have four universities in the project. One is in Brno. Then, uh, of course, your German one, uh, uh, Rheinwall. Then we have UK and Finland. With that, you have three different time zones. <laughs> so that was a challenge number num number one to coordinate everything according to time zones. Plus, then you have one university outside the e Erasmus, outside the EU institutions. So. It was very challenging for us, and, and they have different higher educational system than we do. So, for example, we had to create agreement so we can actually send this, our students abroad, and it was very difficult, especially you know, different legal systems, different requirements. Once you have inside EU, so GDPR, protective uh, rights, and then, then you have one, one university outside of that framework. So this, you know, from the administrative point of view to tackle these challenges, how we're going to store the informations, what kind of informations we need for the students to enroll in each university, or what are, how we're going to build learning agreements, transcript of records for the students so they can get fully recognized credit. So these kind of administrative issues as well, then legal things, you know, legal wordings in agreement. Every university has to get it through to their legal department. So that was challenging. And then of course, you have uh, different rules at each universities. For example, how which platforms can be used in Germany? You're only allowed to use Webex, right? And then it doesn't work in different universities. So just like these things, and of course, because we're doing really cooperative semester as well, so the courses are both work of two teachers from different universities. So really, cooperation between those teachers as well. It was very challenging for them because every university have different approach different style and i know you mentioned that at the moment because you're testing this program in a way that you offer instead of an entire semester broad like certain modules right mm -hmm. so what kind of modules are they uh, can yeah. they pick any anything no so we created um eight courses eight modules so each university offers two so then we can, uh, you know, which then again, it's 20 credits, you know, you, you, what do you need for Erasmus change? Mosaic 
university offers, for example, courses on EU sanctions and European institutions, European integration, so more like European studies, EU. Then Finland, the Finnish University in Tampere, Tampere, they have more business-related fields, so they're more doing the business studies, management and stuff. Uh, Darby came up with like sustainable development, sustainability. So we, we tried to complement each other and do it from one field that it's, you know, similar to us. So it means like political science, business, like in this area. And then because we are building this guidelines, you, you know, any university from different parts. So for example, for biology, medicine, they can use this model and do it in their way, in their field. From the student's perspective, once they join, what does their experience look like? Like, would you walk me through, like, imagine that I'm going joining. So what would I yeah. see from the beginning to the end of the Versal project? You entered our web page that we dedicated to the, to the project and you applied through this web page. Then we send you an email like, hey, welcome to the project. And there you will have a link to the platform where everything is going to be. It's from Tampere University, uh, Tampere University. And on this platform, you have everything. So you have the modules. So through the link, you join and you have all the information of the courses. So you can read everything. And there's where the actual semester takes place. So you have everything there. So you have links for the social events. You have links for Discord there. So it's very like we try to make it as an one one portal, one online space where you have everything. It's called DigiCampus, so it's actually like digital campus, so you have everything there. So this is where you're going to have all information, schedule, timetables, and stuff like that. So once you get to this platform, you just have to uh, take notes where your classes are taking place, you join, and then you have the lectures, you put requirement, all the requirements, homeworks, in this platform. Is there some kind of a restriction to entry? Do you have to have certain requirements or do you just have to apply before the deadline? It was the, please apply before the deadline. Then you have to, you know, you have to have signed learning agreement. Um, we require kind of like B2 English level just for you to be mm -hmm. able to, of course, learn in English um, and to participate in, in, the, in the courses but no other restrictions. Simon Park and Alexander Hermsen are students of international and business management. They both took part in the Versatile Project for an online exchange semester. They share their experiences being a part of this semester abroad, as well as the challenge they faced working collaboratively. Uh, my name is uh, Alexander, and uh, I'm a fourth semester IBM student at the Hochschule Rheinwald. And uh, I'm 25 years old. I actually come from Kleve. So I went to school here and I grew up in Kleve. I'm really interested in everything that has to do with economics and finance and so on. So, um, and I also wanted to study in English. So that's, uh, that was a given that I should study at the Hochschule Rheinwald. And, and, um, Simon? So basically <laughs> studying the same. Yeah. Also IBM and, um, in my fourth semester. Before that, yeah, I finished school and I did a gap year in London and then started to study at Hochschule Rheinwald. I just want to clarify real quick. So IBM is international business management, right? Exactly. Yeah. And both of you ended up doing it in the same institution, right? Yes. And as we, which, we weren't, 
It was the Tampere University in Finland. We attended everything as normal in Kleve. And then it, ah. it was just this one project in addition, virtual to the existing classes. We had basically teams and we had to organize it ourselves. And we had, you can correct me, Alex, but we had four mandatory meetings four. and that was it basically. Um, and at the end, we just had to present what we did in our team. But yeah, the main task was basically to conduct market research and give a recommendation to an existing company on how they should approach expanding to another country. Um, we just had a kickoff meeting and basically the professor from the Temple University showed us everything, like the basics, what we have to do, showed us our teams. Then we basically had to write a whole report on our recommendations and everything related to market research, etc. Then we had to also present that and the presentation and the report were then graded together. Students that have to self-motivate, there are always some that will do like more than the others, but it was, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too much, but it was sometimes even a bit more than a normal module, I would say. I don't yeah. know if Simon thinks it's the same, but yeah. yeah. So how many people were in one group working on one working group? Uh, five people. Um, five people. Were you both in the same group? No. Nope. No. Actually, we didn't form our group ourselves. So the group we were already ah, So they put you in um, groups. Exactly. There's also like some things that are just like up to luck. For example, that how your team members are and how motivated they are and how much work they're willing to do. I mean, that's the problem with almost all work group papers. You will mm -hmm. also always have one or two people that pretty much won't do anything doesn't matter how much you push them but that's just the inherent yeah, effect of group work one of the reasons that i learned a lot from though uh, is like how to communicate with people for bigger projects like in a virtual setting etc yes there were people that weren't really active and there were some that pretty much didn't attend any meeting but the communication with the people that actively worked a lot like that was really helpful because i mean i have some work experience and it's definitely a challenge to organize projects just via online or via mail or like you're not there, there's always going to be in, in a modern setting people that are not at the workplace where you're at and for example i work as a working student in project management and that's versus that project like the just the basis and the communications part actually helped me a lot in that regard also at the beginning we were assigned like roles inofficially yeah. and i was the team leader of my group and um, one consequence of being a team leader is if someone struggles everything com comes back to you <laughs> so, yeah. and also i had just many struggles with that people really didn't understand what to do and also didn't communicate it properly if just people don't communicate, you can't do much more. If you just, I don't know, if I just send out reminders every week, you just do your tasks, but nothing is coming back. And then one week before we had to upload our excitement, then I get a message, for example, that, hey, actually, I wanted to quit this project for a while. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just in this project because I don't want to feel guilty or something like that. It just, it's just a little bit hard if you are in this role and yeah. 
how did you guys go about managing these group dynamics? And clearly, you guys were the more hardworking ones in your respective teams. And Simon, you were even the team leader. So from my perspective, I've learned actually two things. So one, the first thing is it is really important you, especially as a team leader, that you need to communicate with every member individually and always ask them, even if they have understood it, ask them once again <laughs> if they really know what to do. Because I just realized that, um, at least it was in my group, <laughs> the students tend to keep their problems for themselves and just don't ask, even if you ask them and ask for the problems, but nothing comes back. And also, if you ask in a group chat, they don't reply. You need to ask them like individually, um, so you get a reply. And also, it's for the team leader a good understanding, okay, where's the problem, how you can approach this problem then. And the other thing is to not get too emotional. You can get stressed out really fast if people in your group, they don't do the task properly or on time, or they just don't reply. <laughs> can also be. And if you get also too emotional, things don't get better. To have yeah, a kind of coolness and just understanding also for them helps a lot. Yeah, I can just agree with everything Simon said, especially the first point. What I noticed is, I mean, I was kind of lucky because I already worked a few years and I did my apprenticeship and so on. So I had some experience with being in an environment where you need to have your own motivation and drive to accomplish certain tasks i think a lot of students lack this intrinsic motivation and that is also like one of the reasons why you might get stuck especially in the beginning of a project what i found is that just like it sounds dumb but just do it like it's not Oftentimes, it's just this first step of organizing stuff that's like the biggest hurdle. As I said, this intrinsic motivation, not everyone has that from the beginning. So you need to lay out some foundation. So for example, in our group, like in the very first meeting that we had in our group, I said, yeah, before we talk about specific things or so, we're just going to split up this project, the tasks and assign that to everyone. If there are some problems, we can still switch it up or anything, but you need to sometimes <laughs> you need to sometimes tell people a bit, little bit where to go and lead them a little bit just this uh, collaborating without seeing each other face to face did you find it difficult because you had your in presence semesters right after your first semester so you've already had a taste of how it is in face to face um, workings what would be the pros and cons, so to speak. It's definitely a barrier, but I would also say that it's a barrier that if you get around it or over it, then it's a benefit to you. But at the same time, to be honest, it's not that much of a difference to presence projects. Because from my experience, even if it's in presence, there will be people who will just not attend the meeting. Like they will just not show up in person. And that is basically the biggest struggle we had. Communication is definitely a con that can turn into a pro if you succeed in it. And another pro is that you can do these studies with different cultures and people from different universities and so on, definitely. Because we had different discussions around how we should organize the project, 
and the reports and how we so for example from the english university they had like a specific approach that they always do and then we discussed this and so on so that was really nice to see but yeah i think there are more pros than cons to be honest because the cons are also relevant in the present projects in my opinion when I relate that now where I work right now, I'm working also in a in really international company where people also have meetings with people from India and they're working also together, but they didn't, they've never seen the colleagues from India physically, but they work together for years and it works. And it only works because everyone knows what to do and everyone have a certain degree of motivation to do their job mm -hmm. and Obviously, we got all the digital tools to have the meetings and also to ask if you don't know. So there are no really barriers because mm. you can solve those barriers. Lesson number three, but studies are also cool. We're back at the start of our journey at the Bachelor of Thesis writing session in Kamplimford. How do you try to help each other? Coming along with your studies or with your thesis, that's what it is. So we're actually mostly mental support for each other. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to reconnect at least once a week. Yeah, to talk about how we're feeling, how it's going. And we're now or later trying to discuss, for example, my topic, where mm. I can find focus or what I can take off and it's not interesting and I'm just overthinking it. Yeah, I would say that's the most we do encouraging each other yeah because most of it most of the problems are i think in our heads and sometimes you or me like we are just standing in front of our goals like ourselves are, we are the problem <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, yeah or we try to force each other to take a break then we go to yeah the sauna that it is also okay to take a break and maybe yeah. fail sometimes and that the whole process not is probably not very clear in the beginning. And no. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. we talk about. And the main difference is that you have to work on your own right now, right? Because yes. Beforehand, you were able to exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Working on the same topic gives you a little bit of more depth to it. Yeah. You don't. You do not have to update every time you talk, mm. because you know what's going on when you're working on the same project. Now I will have to give her a brief introduction to my my studies so she can discuss with me. And yeah. it's a lot easier if everybody in the group knows what's going on. And as I said, you can get back to resources each and every person has and focus where they're really good at. For example, we had somebody in our group most of the time who was really fine with statistics, not my cup of tea, to be honest. And I was really happy to just push that aside, give it to him, and I focus on something else where I was better at. But it's also, later on, we'll just talk about our topics. It's a lot of a lot easier if you're practicing it and the only speaking it out loud and verbalizing it also helps you understand the topic better and see maybe different aspects of it, yeah. Yeah, funny information about myself. I do have Lesa-Chapschwäche. My kindergarten teacher, now we're diving really deep, and I said I would never even make it to Abitur. Really? Yeah. She was my teacher. I didn't even understand that. But she was that kind of teacher that forced me for 45 minutes to read a sentence. I could just not read because I could not read. 
dyslexia, I think. Well, yeah. That's the English term. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Okay, that's really interesting because broader thing about the episode <laughs> is how to study. Yeah. So with someone who has, can I say disability, maybe? Yeah, or actually, it's, it's, it's classified as yeah. one. Yeah. How did you came so far? What's controller in English? Grammar school? Is that, that Grammar school? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. A prior school? Prior I'm, school, school. Yeah, I'm not sure. That was hard. My parents and I decided after talking that I will redo the, four, the fourth grade to get back from this specific teacher to back up. And because you have imagined I've cried every day because I was mobbed. <laughs> what is the English, English term? Bullied. 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 Yes, mm -hmm. I was bullied. bullied. Yeah, from the teacher and my classmates. So that from was... The teacher. Yeah, because she let me sit there in front of everybody and waited 45 minutes till I read a sentence or an abstract or anything. She just waited and had me suffering the whole time. I was crying. I threw up a lot of time in school early on because I just felt that pressure. And I was afraid I could not take a test because I could not read the question. I knew all the things and I was a really intelligent and wissbegieriges kind. Um, Curious. Yeah, curious. Mm -hmm. I always asked questions. My, my parents were a little bit annoyed because I, always, I was the typical white girl, you know. Why is it like that? Daddy, why is it like that? And I just did not understand why this specific teacher did not acknowledge my intelligence. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to do the fourth grade again with another teacher and start specific training for dyslexia. That was horrible as well because I did not have any time For three or four years, I did not even see one of my friends on a regular basis because I always had to go to a specific training. I guess it was three times a week. I did go there and I got, after the fourth grade, I got a eingeschränkte Empfehlung für... Yeah, I don't know what it is in English. Yeah. It's very German. Yeah, it's yeah. really German. So yeah. I got a eingeschränkte Empfehlung für Gymnasium, aber eigentlich eher... Realschule. But still, it's really good. Yeah, you have to imagine if a kid cannot read or write, there's always a possibility that is below average intelligence. Yeah, because as I said, I wasn't dumb. I just could not read. <laughs> no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> Where they found that I actually above average yeah, okay. in intelligence, not to brag or anything. <laughs> uh, and they found out that I have dyslexia, so I mm. had a certificate. But side note, If you ever have somebody that has dyslexia in an early on age, you have to prove it every year. Yeah, because my parents and I did not know that and nobody told us about it. But if you get help in your A-levels, etc., for example, more time on tasks, on your exams, or the spelling mistakes are not taken into consideration when they're grading it. Oh, really? But... Just when you have an unfollowing streak of official tests oh. every goddamn year. Wow. And if you miss one year, you do not get anything. Wow. Yeah, this was, this was hard. I have, How long did you have to do the test? Till your A-levels? Yes, oh. up to the A-levels. Okay, but now it doesn't work anymore like this? or mm, You... Actually, I'm oh, yeah, not but sure. You, you still have the dyslexia. It's not gone. It got a lot better because yeah. I worked hard for it. So I can fluently read and write. But I always make a lot of spelling mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I'm a lot It's slower. Not a lot. You don't do a lot of spelling mistakes. You do some. Yeah. I mean, I because we're writing on Word, mm -hmm. does correct a lot for me. Mm -hmm. Also, 
text message programs do correct a lot. Okay. When I handwrite, it's more. Okay. It's not a tremendous amount, but it's still more than average. Okay. Yeah. We talk about hurdles or challenges you have to overcome mm. to, to have a degree. And some people might think, okay, you make your abitur and like you will never work in any field again where this might be hindrance for you. You could have done completely different stuff. Yeah, sure. I... That's a little bit confusing, but as I moved on to um, gymnasium, I was actually quite good in school. Uh, that's because I've worked hard for it and I had teachers that did understand my situation and did understand why I do not have this ongoing streak on tests. So they were nice to me and they take it in consideration that I do have dyslexia. So I was quite good in school and I formed the self... Confidence? Yeah, that I'm intelligent and I'm able to do my studies. And actually, I was still traumatized from this one teacher that said I would never even get my A-levels. So I wanted to prove her wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I had this uh, motivation. Anger. Yeah, like, yeah, a lot of anger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it can be helpful. Yeah, I mean, it, dyslexia did have an impact on the final grade on my A-levels because, for example, English was really difficult for me at the first time I started learning it because it was completely English different really language. Good. Speaking and understanding was never the problem, never. Mm, like the writing. The writing and reading was the problem because... I mean, you say psychology, you still have to read and write a lot of... And read good. I can really... Yeah. In, now I can really read good, yes. But I do need more time. I'm not good at skimming articles. So I cannot start there and flip over there and mm. jump to the conclusion. That's hard for me to process. Mm. And that's why I need a lot more time. And that's, maybe that's the reason why I'm so bad at research. So bad? Yeah, bad in my opinion. I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> yeah, but that's basically what's still there and I still do know that I have dyslexia but I can work around if I'm allowed to add something I would suggest myself to not be as hard on myself as I was be more relaxed if you go into studies and you start studying after school right away you will experience some sort of setback you understand it's harder to be good in a crowd that's good than being good in a crowd that it's Average, I would say. And does hurt your um, ego, 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 ego yeah. to understand that. Yeah. And you do not have to be hard on yourself. At l as long as you pass, actually, as long as you pass, you're fine. Because you do get your, your bachelor at some point. If it takes longer, it's fine. It may be it is better for yourself because you have more time to learn the things. Maybe you will remember more. When you take your time. Yeah. So do not be so hard on yourself. Choose your time wisely. And if you have spare time, spend it with your friends. Not always studying. But studies are also cool. Yeah, for you sure. You learn so much about yourself. Oh, yeah.
thank you for listening to the How to Hochschule podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and feel free to follow us and recommend us to your friends. If you have any thoughts or suggestions or just want to let us know how you liked the episode, please don't hesitate, take courage and do reach out to us at podcast at hsrw.eu. We are always looking for ways to improve and we appreciate your feedback. Also be sure to check out our show notes for links and more information on today's topics and guests. Next time on the How to Hochschule podcast. Hi, my phone is not working. It's night in Germany and I have no place to go. To the next time when we'll be discussing the in and outs of finding the perfect place to call home. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Stefan Anf and this is the How to Hochschule podcast. We'll catch you in the next episode. Tschüss.